Ryan Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught. It is a podcast about deep dives into true crime. And if you are new here, When Killers Get Caught is a three-part podcast where we will discuss two true crime stories that resonated with us. Sometimes they're local stories. Sometimes they're just things that made us go, what? And then I will lead you down the path of a well-known or lesser-known killer. We'll discuss the childhood, lives, methodology, and of course, how they got caught. And then Brian will finish off our episode with a paranormal palate cleanser. And in the world of things that Brittany talks about in the beginning of every episode is we do have merch. We would love if you would like to wear our merch. Unfortunately, this thick did is currently off in the Midwest and not available. Not Midwest. What is that? West Virginia. Because uh, <laughs> it's the Mothman. Um, currently, West Virginia is not available for sale, but there's still beanies and really cute mugs. And also, I have a kind of a notification about the mugs when these were first sold the printer we were using only had one location and the shipping was outrageously expensive which people mentioned to me and sent me messages about our new printer is the same printer that makes the shirts shipping they have loads of warehouses across not just america but the globe and so when i put this in on the website again last night now the shipping is only like three dollars and fifty cents for this glass mug which is way more affordable because I totally understand people not wanting to spend $28 on a mug. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's a nice update. Also like they're adding our merch underneath our YouTube videos. That's cool. I'm going to, we're going to be trying to put these on YouTube. Hopefully you'll be able to watch this on YouTube next week. Um, No promises of when it'll go up. (laughs) (laughs) No promises at all because my editing it takes a while so sorry sorry i'm sorry you know we're, we're listen i know a lot of people expect that since this is our second year that like we're super polished and everything is wonderful but the reality <laughs> of the situation is we're still learning as we go um <laughs> we still make mistakes like i mean that one episode where i literally adjusted my whole setup and plugged my mic in the wrong way and sounded like a robot and i'm so sorry about that and we didn't realize it until we were already done yeah. Um. And at that point, then I mean, re-recording a two-hour podcast—you can't re-record natural reactions to hearing things. And a lot of we—I like getting Brian's natural reactions. But regardless, that's the end of my uh, updates, my weekly updates on us. But this week in true crime, I would like to talk about a ridiculous situation that happened in Pennsylvania. And I must admit, this is a horrible story because my weekly story is not as bad as usual (laughs) so i'm gonna read you the headline first it says pennsylvania man caught dismembering girlfriend after neighbor called to report domestic dispute i I read this headline (laughs) the uh the other day and i was like "Uh, maybe we should talk about this one no that's okay anyway well so the man in question the dismemberer is nicholas scurria and this happened Uh, The first week of February. And he's 32 years old. And within the time period that his neighbors were able to hear an argument and to call the police and the police arrive, he killed her and started dismembering her. Did he dismember her because it was easy to bury her? (laughs) 
podcast, apparently. Uh, his name oh is Fred God. West. Uh, like, essentially what happened was at like 4.45, uh, so it had been two Fridays ago, the police get a phone call in Clifton Heights. And Clifton, um, Pennsylvania, it's like slightly outside of Philly. Uh, it's a weird little tiny town. But either way, Clifton uh, police get a call just before 4.45 a.m. And they're like, there's really loud banging and screaming in the apartment upstairs. And then they're like, yeah. So while they're on the phone call with 911, they're like, now it's quiet. Oh, my God. <laughs> now we can hear a saw. Oh. Like, bruh, he, he immediately jumped to pulling out the saw. Oh my god. In the minutes. Mm. So the police arrive and then like I, like also the caller said, "Now I can hear gathering of plastic materials." Sounds like I was like, "Now you can hear plastic bags." Also, y'all live in a terrible apartment if you can hear literally everything this man he, is doing. Every bags? step he's doing. Damn. Like yeah. he can hear everything. Anyway, the police arrive at the apartment building and they're walking around and they observed from outside of the building a man sitting on a mattress sawing a woman's leg off with a machete. Apparently, he discovered that the saw was not working. So then he moved on to a machete. So you start hacking instead of sawing. Okay. Yes. Yeah. How fun. Mm -hmm. So at that point, the police kind of figured out which room it was and then ran up and broke the door down. Right, um, right. She was definitely already dead. Uh, and then um, Scaria told the police she tried to cut my balls off. I don't know if he meant that literally or figuratively. Maybe literally. Um, he said that during the argument, he knocked her unconscious after punching her in the head a couple times. Then he admitted to attempting to get rid of the evidence by trying to cut off various parts of her body. Um, Del Delaware County District Attorney uh, Jack Stolsteimer is like, oh, what's good? This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, he like he literally was like, this is horrific. Um, in a public statement, he was just like, it's a sad reminder of the threat that many women face on a daily basis. And uh, we must continue to look for ways to support women against the danger of domestic violence. Scuria has yet to plead to the charges against him, though he's totally admitted to doing it. So so we'll see what happens. Hmm. Oh, goodness gracious. That's uh... And I'm just like, wow. Oh, listen. See, it feels very Florida of us, doesn't it? It really does. Like we're just a we're just a northern Florida, really. We're the northeast Florida. I feel like every week there's something weird happening here. Do you remember a couple years ago? I think we might have been in high school, but there was definitely a man who tried to burn his wife. Like after he killed her, he tried to like burn her on the grill and was thoroughly perplexed as to why it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> and people in the neighborhood were like, it smells real bad, and there's like a real strange smoke in his mm, backyard. It's real dark and black for some reason. Yeah, they're like, this doesn't look like grill smoke. Mm. I remember that. And I was just like, some people are stupid. <laughs> 
But anyway, what's your weekly story, Brian? Okay. <laughs> okay. Now mine is terrible. Um, it's not. I, I want to say nobody. Nobody died, so that's okay. okay. Um, I do have an update though of our Pennsylvania cryptid. That oh yay! You remember? So remember it escaped, and you know they're doing the DNA animal testing. that we don't know what it is. Yeah. So guess what it is? What is it? It's a coyote. Nuh-uh. I called it. It is a freaking coyote. That thing's what? a coyote. Okay. Is that the same picture? Okay, because I saw another picture of a lady who was like, I picked up this baby on the road, and it, it looked like a coyote, though, to me. Um, hold on. Let me see. It had, like, the brownish, reddish look of the coyote. This picture right here. If I can see it. And post it in the chat. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> I can't. It, I don't know. It's hitting uh, the light weird. I'll put it up in the chat. But uh, yeah, that that thing that somebody found in, uh, I guess, uh, Pittsburgh area. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it escaped from the, the pen that they had in it, which they said the escape was weird because it it escaped through a very, very high window that wasn't for looking out of. So it was like a window that was like higher than, you know what I mean? It was like Those touching windows the that don't make any sense to me. Absolutely. Like so, I, in my house that I live in right now, directly above my bedroom door, there is a window, but that faces the inside of the house. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not bringing light in. It's just weird. Yeah, it's it, it was window, a window like that. Apparently, there was nothing that it could jump up on. It, apparently, it climbed up the walls to get out. Dope. So, yeah, this little coyote just did that. Um, okay, but, parkour. But that's not my story for this week. Um, so, you probably won't remember this. This happened actually last month on the 24th. Um, okay. So, a FedEx driver. This, is in, this happened in Mississippi. So, a FedEx driver... You know, he's out doing his job. He's driving in a, a Hertz truck because uh, FedEx, I guess they rent this truck out because for reasons. Oh, oh uh, like a rental Hertz. Got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but he was he was wearing you said his... Hertz. I heard Uts and was very confused for a second. I'm sorry. <laughs> potato chips. Yeah, I know. Potato chips. The green company at the, the mall, the airport. Hertz. Yeah, where you, okay. where you go down, where you go down to Hanover, you see the is it Ertz, Ertz, Uts, whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so continue. So he's in his, you know, he's in his, his FedEx uniform. You know, he's making deliveries and stuff. Um, but this one delivery that he makes, you know, he finishes delivery. He heads out to his car. He notices this white pickup truck coming, like pulling out when he's pulling out. And it, like, tries to cut him off. And then he, like, swerves around it because he's like, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Um, but then he sees some guy standing in the middle of the road. And he's holding a gun. And he's holding a gun. And he's, t- he's, trying to, like, he's trying to tell the FedEx guy to stop. He's like, stop. And with the gun. And the FedEx guy is like, uh, no. <laughs> you got a gun pointing at me? Fuck you. Um, so he swears around him. But the guy shoots like five shots off at, at the FedEx truck. Um, I feel like that, like, that would have been a moment for me. Like, instead of stopping, I would have just been like, 
U-turn. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I should take a different street. Okay, so the the FedEx driver, uh, I knew I forgot something. I had to pronounce his name. It's oh. uh, so he's a black man. The FedEx okay. man, the FedEx driver is a black man. His name is Demontario Gibson. Aww. Um, and the two guys that were chasing him were uh, two white men. Um, oh, I did hear about this. Yeah, uh, a father and a son. Does this sound familiar? Well, I I, I saw the headline earlier in the week. Um, mm-hmm. Two white yeah. guys kill black driver, black delivery mm-hmm. driver is what I saw. Oh uh, no, he's not dead. He wasn't. He wasn't even injured. They just shot at him. Was it? Nope. Uh, they they just shot at him. Apparently, they got in trouble though, like big trouble. Yeah, they got they. I not really. No, uh-uh. So, okay, <laughs> I'm trying to... This was obviously an attempted robbery, right? No, it was an attempted murder, pretty well, much. Well, I mean, they were probably having him stop so they could steal the truck. They were just killing him for personal reasons? Okay, this is a different story than I heard then. There was a delivery driver who also got murdered this week. Yeah, yeah, no. So <laughs> He might not have been... Uh, okay, continue. So, this happened, like I said, this happened in Mississippi. Um... This is kind of like uh, Ahmaud Aubrey's uh, case. What? What? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Because they had the guys who tried to shoot him. They called nine one one, and they I guess reported a suspicious person in the neighborhood. This guy who's wearing his FedEx uniform is the suspicious guy that they reported. This is just uh, liars lying. About lying. So, because they so, lying. Yeah, so I, I guess they called 911 before he could call 911. Because when he called 911 about, you know, being shot at and being chased by this white truck and these two these two dudes, like, they, they chased him driving. Like, they, they, they drove after him. They chased him for, like, I don't know, a few minutes. And, you know, he's calling 911. He tells them, he's like, yeah, these two guys are like chasing me and shooting at me. And I was, you know, I'm a FedEx driver. I was doing my job and the 911 operator, she's like, or they're like, I don't know who. And whoever. Uh, yeah. And they're like, were you on such and such street? And he's like, yeah, that's where they were chasing me at. And the, uh, the 911 drive, uh, operator's like, yeah, that's where we got reports of a suspicious person um, hanging around at and he's like okay well i'm not a suspicious person i am a fedex driver i have my uniform on i'm not suspicious at all so these two men um god darn it where is their names their last name is chase um of okay because they're chasing- chase bandits <laughs> they were chasing they are chasing him on the road um uh, oh, it's Gregory Charles Chase and Brandon Chase or Case. My bad, not Chase Case. Um, and they got arrested February first, but were released the next day. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. This was definitely a different story than the one that I thought you were going to say. No, sorry. Um, People got murdered in the one I was thinking about. Yeah. So the son is he's he was charged with aggravated assault and the father was just charged with a conspiracy to you know 
of agri- of of aiding or you know what I mean. And and so uh, Gibson and his lawyer they're trying to get like they're trying to get these charges like elevated to like almost attempted murder because they shot at him. Well, they it's were... definitely a hate crime. Yeah, it's, if the that's... reason why you were chasing this man. And that's what they're trying to like, and that's also another thing they're trying to do. Like him and his his attorney, they're trying to like um, get for like federal hate crime probe going on, so that you know we can look for these things. <laughs> and it says they were charged yesterday. Oh, really? Oh, nice. With what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a, with a it's like murder? the mo- it's like a most recent update, like today. <laughs> nice. uh, White's father and son are facing criminal charges after twenty four year old black FedEx driver on the evening of January twenty fourth. Gregory is charged with purposefully, knowingly, and feloniously conspiring with his son to commit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to commit aggravated assault. Their attorney uh, apparently is not responding to comments. Uh, people's packages were destroyed. Yeah, so about, like, people are upset. Three, I think, like three packages got like bullet holes in them, and it was. I was like, damn. Oh, he said he didn't know where he was going, so he was kind of driving around, and so they thought he oh, was ch- chasing the building. Look here, what is where? That's like a comedy joke, a black comedian joke. Like you can't be like it, like you make it to like too many left turns. You got you got to stop. You got to stop driving because something bad is going to happen to you. But the thing is, he wasn't in like the official truck, so he might not have had like the proper stuff. And not yeah, no GPS or something in it. Yeah. yeah, to know exactly where to go. He's lucky it's, he survived though, because I mean, like, really but the, regardless, the situation is. Here's my thought on this: mm-hmm. Castle doctrine should only count for your castle. Okay, you can't like jump the gun and be like, "Oh, I think they're trying to." Uh, break into the house across the street and show up with guns drawn. It's not mm-hmm. your castle, buddy. Mind your business. Yep. You are allowed to protect your home. And I totally support that. I think that makes loads of sense. Mm-hmm. But this idea that people can just take a gun out into the street and begin shooting people randomly and going gung-ho, like that should not be covered under castle doctrine. Absolutely not. You it's... deserve to get whatever you got there, buddy. No one asked you to go and be a friggin' uh, hero. Also, this other thing that I have here is stuff can be replaced. And I know that people feel very close to their stuff. But, and I know that it can be very demoralizing and, and like, really mess with you when someone breaks into your house and whatnot. But ultimately, the only way I see myself murdering another person is if they are actively trying to hurt me or someone that I care about. Right. Yeah. I just don't see somebody like stealing the TV downstairs and me being like, all right, let me load this person with iron. <laughs> like, you know, with bullets. Like, I just don't, like, it's a fucking TV. You can buy another one for 150 at Walmart. <laughs> so that's just person. Like, I have a real personal, like, ugh, like putting property over human life 
real weird line for me. I don't think it's worth it. We have insurance for a reason. Right. Yeah. Homeowners insurance is a thing. And side note, if you don't have renter's insurance and you're listening to this, you should. You should. Yeah, you should get it. <laughs> but I just, I just like, I do think human life is precious. And I think that we should definitely not be just killing people because of the potential that they might be stealing something. Exactly. Like these dudes, oh, this, this might be, oh, they might be casing the joint. He wasn't even doing nothing. And now you ruined you and your child's life potentially because now you're up for felony charges. And here's the thing. Even if you, if the charges get canceled, the fact that you were arrested on a felony does stay on your record and it will pop up when you do job searches and things. You just wrecked your life for no reason. Yeah. Call it in. That's all you got to do. Yeah. That's all you got to do. You don't really have to put like fucking matters in your own hands at all. Just mind your business. Call call the 911. Mind your business. That's all you got to do. Yeah. But anyway, so last week we discussed pretty much one of the worst and most horrific couples in UK. Honestly, I'm going to say world history. They were a whole different level of disgusting. (laughs) But this week... I wanted to talk about maybe something that wasn't as grotesque. There is still murder. But I wanted to sort through the lore of a couple that has gone down in infamy for being both the image of love, but also masterful criminals. There's so much like romanticized mythos around them that I had to sift through. So, of course, you get one chance, Brian. Who are we talking about today? You already told me. You're not supposed to let people know that I accidentally spilled the beans. Well, if you're probably listening, you guessed that it's Bonnie and Clyde. It is Bonnie and Clyde. It indeed is. Uh, I would have guessed it anyway, to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you only, Brian only heard about it because I've been having a hard week. A pet died and I've been in the dumps. So I was really struggling to get this done and I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this today brian (laughs) but i did so you have a podcast look at you um because one um they are not legendary symbols of love that the media have talked them up to be by any means but i I, i'm hoping that maybe you'll learn something about them that you didn't know before today okay so we're going to start at the beginning with bonnie elizabeth parker born on october 1st 1910 in rowena texas to charles parker a bricklayer and emma cross a seamstress Uh, bonnie was one of four children her siblings uh, were coley who died as an infant of crib death hubert buster parker and billy jean parker buster was two years older than bonnie and billy jean was two years younger so bonnie was right in the middle and things started off really well as well as they could for a couple in a small town with three kids and no money. Uh, but it did get worse for the Parkers when dad Charles died in 1914 at a construction accident. Uh, with little money and a whole lot of bills, Emma moved them to her parents' home in Cement City, which is west of Dallas, Texas. Like many of the stories we talk about in the early 1900s, death was very common. Um shortly after they moved we're talking like 1919 emma's father so the grandfather of the family died of stomach cancer Uh, emma did her work as a seamstress but she ended up having to switch to a printing factory job 
as a helper because it was more consistent income than waiting for people to like need their clothes fixed. Okay. Not a whole <laughs> lot's mentioned about Bonnie's childhood, but she was far from criminal. She did well in school. She was particularly talented in creative writing, public speaking. She kept a journal and wrote poetry until she died. Um, she was a very popular girl, considered one of the pretty girls, and she knew how to make people laugh. But in her journals, she wrote a lot about feeling profoundly lonely. Mm. She wanted more in life, and she was impatient for something amazing to happen, which is very common for a lot of teenagers. Yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> Which would be why, when she was about 14 years old, she was drawn to Roy Thornton in 1924. He was the school bad boy who pretty much spent his days committing crimes and just causing trouble for the local police. Just after her 14th birthday, Bonnie quits school and marries him. Oh, damn. Now, she was real excited about, you know, his exciting criminal life, but she was kind of annoyed by the fact that Roy didn't stop stealing and getting arrested. And Bonnie was like, you're never here. (laughs) Um, And she ended up within a year moving back in to her mom's house. Now, they never got legally divorced and Bonnie wore her wedding ring until the day she died. Now, she felt like by 1929 that they were officially like separated, broken up. Uh, Roy kind of foolishly blamed the decline in their marriage on Bonnie being close to her mom, Emma. And, of course, Bonnie was not okay with that. No. Just for anybody who might be married or thinking about it, you just can't tell your spouse that they like their parents too much. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, not at all. Like, they gotta, like you've got, they're your in-laws. Like, you're well, your family now. <laughs> and Bonnie was like, no, the problem is that you're always in jail. I don't have a husband because you're, like, never around. Yeah, you're never home. <laughs> like, you're always... You got your own little wives in prison, probably. Uh, well, pretty much she just said he was unpredictable with the fact that he was getting arrested all the time. Um, Roy would go on to actually get arrested on March 5th, 1933, and was given a five-year sentence. So that was right when Bonnie and Clyde were in the thick of things. Um, and actually, when he heard of Bonnie's death, people interviewed him because the world was about mm-hmm. it. And... He said, I'm glad they went out like they did. It's much better than being caught. Um, And Roy would eventually die on October 3rd, 1937, while trying to escape Etham Prison. Sorry, Eastham Prison. We'll learn more about Eastham in a little bit, because it's a big, big story arc. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're not done with Bonnie yet. (laughs) Now, it's still 1929. Bonnie is just like... uh, She's like 18 now. She doesn't want to go back to school. So she takes a job as a waitress at this place called Marco's Cafe. And like so many other people during the Great Depression in America, that job ended up falling through. Mm -hmm. By 1930, Bonnie and her family were living packed pretty tight in the same house uh, that they lived in with their grandparents. But now uh, Emma had gotten back into being a seamstress uh, and as an overall manufacturer had hired her. So Brother Hubert was 
a truck driver, and he was there with his wife, Edith Clay Parker, and Billie Jean Parker and her husband, Fred Mace, who was also a truck driver, was there with their baby, Fred, and their grandmother was still there. And, of course, Bonnie. So it's a lot of people here. It's a lot Grandmother's of name was also <clears throat> Emma. So we have Bonnie, Emma, Emma, Fred Jr., Fred Sr., Billie Jean, Edith Hubert. So this is a house with eight people in it. It's packed I mean, to the brim. I, I love the names also. Like, when you said Buster, I was just like, hey, Buster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but despite the crowded house, Bonnie mm. loved her family. She kept in touch with them her entire life. Uh, like she would call her mom while she was on the run. Mm. And of course, her mom was like, "Please, for the love of God, just stop! stop. <laughs> why, are you, um, why you keep going, God?" But you know, Bonnie was still attracted to danger, and she would go on to meet a young man who would change her life in January of 1930 when she was 19 years old. But we're going to talk about him now. Now, in comparison to the mundane life of Bonnie Parker, in which she just craved normalcy, we have Clyde Chestnut Barrow, born March 29, 1909 in Teleco, Texas, to a poor farming family with seven children. His parents were Henry Barrow and Cumi Walker, and Clyde was kid number five. Clyde, like so many people of the time, really grew up in just straight abject poverty. The Midwest was rough in the early 1900s. Yeah, that's what I say. This time of year, yeah. Definitely, 100%. Like, and one of the interesting factors that people don't know, but, like, the concept of, like, welfare and, and money to help people came after the Great Depression. And it was because of that picture of that mom sitting there uh I think she was in Oklahoma. It was a, a beautiful photo that was taken, but she's just sitting there in the midst of like dust and chaos. And she's just like, life is hard. And that photo became kind of the face mm. of families of the Midwest. And mm. the government was like, these people need help. They just, we just went through a depression. And that's where we came up with the process. So it's so horrible that people look so terribly at like things like welfare today, because mm. It was meant to help people who were in crisis. And right. today, it's meant to help people who are in crisis. Yeah. Some people don't understand that. But this is before those programs were created, so... We are in poverty. Clyde and his siblings missed a lot of meals. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in his early childhood, uh, mom would send siblings, uh, Buck and Clyde, and some of the youngest ones who weren't, like, working age... To go live with other family members so they could eat at with that the other family members. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's, it's you know, it's help them survive. Well, I mean, it's just tough, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the farming thing just didn't work at all. Uh-oh. I'm trying to see. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So this is right on the cusp of the Dust Bowl, which happened. Uh, that was a real dry period, early 1930s. So farming's not going well. The whole area is pretty much dry. <laughs> so they actually sell off everything they can and move the family to West Dallas. Clyde's father opens up a gas station. West Dallas was a real rough area in the midst of a lot of change. 
when his family moved there, it was just towards the end of the industrial period. And when I looked into the history of Dallas, I saw a few historians refer to it as a transient city at this point in its history. Really? A lot of people moving through the city. Major landmarks were being built during this time period. Uh, that first month they even moved to Dallas, they slept under their wagon. And then that was when they could buy a tent. And then that was another month of them living in like a tent for them to even just live in like a shack. Like it was real rough. Damn. Mind you, he's running a gas station. So people are driving through <laughs> and I'm like, dang, this I feel kind of bad for these kids. <laughs> this would of course be the time where Clyde turned to crime. And it started with petty crimes. He'd steal turkeys that graduated to cars his first arrest was when he rented a car at 17 years old and just didn't return it. <laughs> <laughs> he was I'm like, you know what? This is <clears throat> mine now. I'm sorry. Just turkey to turkeys to cars. It just is like, so you're riding turkeys and you're driving cars. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Robbing cars and riding turkeys. Yeah. <laughs> the police showed up and he tried to run, but he was arrested. Sorry, folks. Still got that COVID cough. <laughs> it's not as bad as it used to be, but ugh. Uh, his second major arrest was also at 17 in 1926 when he tried to combine the stealing of turkeys and cars at the same time when See. he tried to steal an entire truck full of turkeys. No, <laughs> come on. <laughs> They both get caught, him and his brother Buck. And so at that point, his family's like, y'all. So Clyde's like, you know what? I'm going to go straight. I'm going to join the Navy. He was so hyped, he even got a USN tattoo on his arm. But because he pretty much had a lifetime of malnutrition and terrible living conditions, they said he wasn't healthy enough to join the the, the Navy. Mm. In fact, like, that's why when you look at pictures of him, he was a very slight man. And that was because as he was growing up, he didn't get the nutrition he needed to potentially grow taller and bigger. Right, right. <sighs> so Clyde took a couple industrial jobs until he was 18 years old as a way to make a living. And Clyde and Buck eventually moved back into stealing stuff. Mainly it was to supplement their income in the beginning. Stealing food when they didn't have any, stealing cars, robbing shops, breaking into safes when he broke into people's houses. And that was really when, and so the beginning of 1930, January 5th in West Dallas, Bonnie and Clyde meet. Now there's a lot of romantization about this moment. Love at first sight and all that jazz. But one of the most accurate. <laughs> what I said, did you break into her house? <laughs> no. Um, oh. There, I even like read a, a really totally wrong account about how she was working at the cafe and he saw her. And I was like, that didn't happen at all. She was already <laughs> fired from the cafe because they couldn't afford her to pay her. So Bonnie's mom, Emma Parker, wrote a book called The True Story of Bonnie and Clyde. And in that book, Emma Parker said that Bonnie had gotten fired from the waitressing job as it was the start of the depression. And a friend of Bonnie's had paid her to help her around the house because she had sustained a pretty serious broken arm and couldn't do anything. So 
Bonnie would go over there every day to help her with like household chores and stuff, things that the woman couldn't do herself. Mm-hmm. And on this day, January 5th, Bonnie and her friend were in the kitchen talking. Bonnie was making her friend some hot chocolate and Clyde stopped by. He knew the friend too. He was checking in on her. Emma Parker in her book refers to that meeting as pure bad luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, if you hadn't been at your friend's house just helping her out. I'm, uh, Emma Parker's like, listen, if we had just found you another job, mm-hmm. this would have never happened. But I don't know about that. If he had just turned, he, he had just not wanted to check in on his friend that day, they could never have met. Oh, my God. You imagine. But the thing is, she was attracted to danger. So I don't know if I don't think this this wasn't like a high bristophilia thing of she could change the killer. This was being attracted to the idea of or the excitement of of people who were dangerous. Yeah. So maybe it was a little bit of high bristophilia now that I think about it. Hmm. Eventually, though, seeker. she engaged. Yeah, she. I think. Yeah, thrill seeker would be better. I agree with you on that. But regardless, after that, Clyde would stop by to see Bonnie. And when she wasn't at her friend's house, they would spend lots of time with each other. But Clyde would go on to get himself in big trouble just a few weeks later. Now, it was just a robbery charge. And he was, ju- he was sent to a regular jail. Mm-hmm. And Bonnie visited him at that jail. But then on March 11th, 1930, with a gun... Rumored to have been smuggled to him by Bonnie. He tried to break out of the local jail. And at this point, the judge had had enough of seeing Clyde Barrow. And in April of 1930, he was sent to Eastham Prison. How'd she get a gun in there? <laughs> Hide it in your titties. Come on now, sir. Okay. 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 That's exactly what I would do. <laughs> and then... Uh, ammunition in the other side we're not putting a loaded <laughs> firearm near our chest just saying oh my god <laughs> um Easton was a defining moment for Clyde it it wasn't the best place I mean prisons in Texas have always been pretty brutal but to explain this I kind of have to explain where Easton started so they opened in 1917 and before it was a regular jail it was what was called a convict leasing site have you ever heard of that before Brian no yeah, it's a real nice way of putting people in jail and making them slaves. Oh, so like uh, nowadays? Got Not it. quite, but there's some stuff that's similar <laughs> to this that's happening now, but I'm explaining. it. So a lot of people thought that 13th Amendment ended slavery, but there was a loophole post the Civil War. And that loophole has lasted well into the 20th century. These were part of the Black Codes, which were special laws meant to limit the lives of slaves who were released post the end of slavery. Now, Black Codes eventually morphed into a system that specifically targeted Black people, but also the very poor. And it gave extreme fines and punishment for very minimal crimes, like stealing food, vagrancy, even things like walking on somebody's grass to get you arrested. And the people who looked for folks to arrest weren't even cops. They were a special kind of like reverse bounty hunter who got a percentage of the fine for grabbing people. And then what would happen is they'd say that you need to work off all this debt that you've accrued because you got to pay the fine. You got to pay the guy who finds you. You got to pay the court fees and 
for your lawyer's fees and stuff. And the way you can do that is just come over to this leasing site and you can work your debt away. That's disgusting. It's so disgusting. Mm -hmm. And here's the worst part. Even if you were deemed innocent of the crime, like it went to court and you were innocent, they were like, well, it doesn't matter. You still have to pay the fees for the court and stuff. You just don't have to pay the fine for the crime. But there's still other fees associated with going to court. And companies and states bought into this. And it was used hundreds of thousands of people in this way across America in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And to be honest, I have found similar things that happen in the U.S. today. If something like this interests you, I would look up John Oliver's discussion of Ferguson, Missouri and municipal violations. That is very much modern for profit policing. And it happens in America today. And it is reminiscent of what was going on in the early 1900s. Is it going to make me mad? It is. It's a very good episode, but um, a lot I of people thought it. that the riots that happened in Ferguson after Mike Brown's death mm-hmm. primarily had to do with him, but it also had to do with those municipal violations and the fact that the town was on edge like from before that happened. Mike Brown was the the needle yeah. that was the, the last little feather sitting on top of a powder keg. That straw that broke the camel's back. Yep, and that's why the entire city just broke like that because they had been being abused by the system for decades through these municipal violations. Mm -hmm. But like I said, we're off topic. But that was that's it's a very good read. Uh, It's a very good watch. Sounds good. Sounds good. I like it. Now, Eastland was one of these sites, and they operated like this until 1917, which is only. 13 years before Clyde was sent there. So I'm, I'm sure no one is surprised that it hadn't changed a whole lot. And Eastham had a reputation of being just a hard labor camp by the time Clyde Barrow went there. Right now it's referred to as Wainwright Unit, and it houses both minimum and maximum security divisions. But even back in 1930, it was a terrible place to live and survive in, and Clyde was only 21. He participated in, was subjected to horrific violence. He really only made one friend there. His name was Ralph Fultz, who was 19 at the time. During his stay in Eastham, he was sexually assaulted assaulted multiple times. And his primary abuser was a man named Ed Crowder. After one too many attacks, Clyde beat Ed to death with a piece of lead pipe. It was his first murder and he was still very young. Um, if another prisoner who was expected to be there for life took the fall for him mm. and was just like, don't worry about <laughs> it, young bull. Very nice. Very nice. But not only were the inmates awful to deal with, but so were the guards. And the place was overcrowded, which is an issue that plagued the prison well into the 1980s. Uh, the guards would abuse the prisoners. Clyde City witnessed several inmates being beaten to death by guards. And anybody who saw it was told to just say that the guy had been trying to escape. The labor aspect of the prison wasn't any better. Clyde hated it so much, he orchestrated an accident where he got a friend to cut off several of his toes with an axe, um, an injury he never really healed from, because I don't know if Clyde didn't know this, but you need your toes for balance. Yeah, you do, buddy. You do. They're really, really important. And you have to learn, when you don't have them, You have to learn how to walk different. But regardless, right after that uh, accident he set up, he got paroled. 
He didn't know that was happening. He <laughs> thought he was going to be there for another couple more years. No. <laughs> he cut his toes for nothing. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> when he got released, though. No, it's fine. <clears throat> when he got released, though, Clyde's family said he was never the same. He had become cold and bitter in the two years he'd spent in prison. He carried a deep disdain for police and the prison system for the rest of his life. And this would promote this would promote a very particularly interesting attack on the prison in 1934. But we are very far away from that attack. Mm. Clyde never went back to being on the straight and narrow. He jumped back into crime. But this time, he wasn't a young guy stealing for fun or for food. Clyde wanted revenge. And uh, Bonnie actually wrote about him after prison. She wrote a poem in 1934 that ended up getting found in her journals. Um, And she said that Eastland had turned him from an honest, clean, and upright man into a heartless, cold-blooded, mean person. Mm. Now, in order to stay out of jail... Clyde began to build a small network of criminals. This included his friend from prison, Ralph, and other people he knew. Now, a lot of people would filter through this group over the years. But they called it the Barrow Gang. And by 1930, by February, so like a month later, they're already, they have a solid method of hitting small targets like mom and pop shops and gas stations. They would show up with a lot of guns, scare the crap out of people, and dip. Bonnie was the getaway driver. The purpose of these raids was because Clyde wanted to build up an armory and he was going to take out, he was going to attack Eastland Prison. Now, in the beginning, they had a weird amount of local support. Because instead of killing witnesses, they would kidnap them and then release them later. And I'm going to say this now before we get into talking about the crimes. Most of them victims are cops. There were a couple of people. The majority of citizens were entirely bothered by the murder of the cops. When it came to citizens, however, it was rare that they did any kind of violence initially. Right. And sometimes they would just straight off pay off the witnesses. And I mean, we were in the middle of a financial depression. So people were like, I appreciate the cash. Thank you. Thank you. Zip your lip. Yep. (laughs) This was all going pretty great until April when Bonnie and Ralph get caught trying to steal guns from a hardware store. Bonnie gets sent to women's prison for 59 days where she spends her time writing poetry and just talking to all the other ladies in jail. Ralph, however, was seriously wounded. He ended up with a much longer prison sentence for being the one carrying a gun. Mm -hmm. And after that, he was pretty much done with being a criminal. On April 30th, while Bonnie's in prison, another member of the gang kills J.N. Butcher, the owner of a small store in Hillsboro. And people thought it was Clyde, but he was the getaway driver. And the reason why they thought it was Clyde was because Butcher's widow named him and was like, he was the one in the store. And that kind of changed Clyde's perspective on victims a little bit. Mm. He was like, they're lying on me to get me in trouble. Like, 
I wasn't even he was there. He was the driver. But yeah, he I... couldn't run. He can't he couldn't run with the fact that he was still dealing with his injury. This is a couple of months after he cut off his toes. Regardless. Bonnie gets released from prison in June. She comes back to Clyde. Her mom's like, please break <laughs> please up with stop. him. <laughs> please God. break up with him. Uh, but there was no talking to her. It was funny, like, you would think, like, at that, this period of time, people would just send their daughters away when they were like, I don't want you dating this guy. I want you to be far away from him. Hey, guess what? You have this family out east. <laughs> they couldn't, though. Bonnie was grown up. This Damn wasn't, it. she wasn't a teenager anymore. Darn. Well, never mind. Well, so, but Bonnie still stopped by and saw her mom, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. So, August 5th, 1932, Bonnie's visiting her mom. And the other members of the gang are out drinking at a fair in Oklahoma. And if you've forgotten, drinking is illegal because of prohibition and the acts of 1919 and 1920. So as they're leaving, Clyde gets weird about the police approaching him because he thought that they recognized him from him and the other guy from the butcher case. Mm -hmm. So they open fire on deputy Eugene Moore and Sheriff CG Maxwell, killing Moore, injuring Maxwell and running away. Uh... Like I said, despite nonviolence being their initial goal, October 11th, 1932, they shoot and killed Howard Hall, a store owner in Sherman, Texas for the $60 in his register. Which, even if it's like $500 today, you know. It's not worth it. It's not worth killing somebody for 500 bucks. It's not worth someone's life. Um, He didn't want to kill Howard, but pretty much you were only safe if you didn't fight back. Let us come in, rob you, and leave. Yeah. But no, I guess that didn't happen. Christmas of 1932, 16-year-old W.D. Jones is... uh, finally allowed to join the gang after a year of begging Clyde to be a part of it. And Clyde had known him the boy since he was a lot younger and he was just like, fine, you can join, but you have to prove your loyalty to me. So on Christmas day in Temple, Texas, they went to steal a car. Now I'm not sure whether this was done on purpose to see how Jones would react, but the man they were robbing Doyle Johnson got killed in the process of the robbery. He was a young father, and the press began to characterize Clyde as a ruthless murderer. Hmm. Jones was like, I'm still here. What you got to say about it? January 6th, 1933, Clyde has another fatal moment with the police, assuming they're out to get him again when they weren't there for him. A sheriff by the name of Malcolm Davis was hunting a different criminal and began staking out their hideout shots were fired witnesses claimed it was wd jones that did the killing that time Hmm. public support of the barrow gang kind of at a no now (laughs) uh they're linked to five murders police were convinced the gang was going to shoot them on site so they were like all right we'll in turn do the same thing right yeah uh Clyde's brother Buck joins them in 1933 along with his wife Blanche who provided medical care and made food for them. The gang's now Bonnie, Clyde, Buck, Blanche, and Jones. They move into a house in Joplin, Missouri. 
where they drink, gamble, have a good time. And they also made a lot of their anger, like their neighbors angry, shooting off guns at night, which led to a lot of police complaints. Of course. Oh, my God. Now, it's the 1930s, so the rules around prohibition have slightly adjusted, which is it's okay to drink liquor, but it is not okay to buy it, sell it, make it, or move it. Which, if that sounds familiar, it sounds a lot like the weed laws like 10 years ago in America. We just love to just stop people from having a good time. That's really, that's that's all it is. Like, you want fun? What? No, fuck you. <laughs> well, the police were like, there's no way this crew is not bootlegging booze or running a moonshine operation. So they raid the house on April 13th. As the five police officers walk toward the house... The group is like, oh, no, we're in trouble for those motors in Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> the rest of the group begins shooting, except for Blanche, because she didn't shoot people. Mm-hmm. But Bonnie was seen shooting at the cops for the first time. Her shots were mainly used to, like, like at their feet to kind of, like, keep them away from the house. Mm-hmm. She was trying to create a diversion. The men, however, were shooting to kill. And uh, a man by the name, Detective McGinnis, was murdered. Another man, Constable Harriman, would die later on that afternoon from his wounds. Another man, Sergeant Kaler, was wounded. The police say they only fired 14 rounds, but the entire site was a mess. The group got away, but most of their stuff was inside. Photographs, which were the ones that would eventually be shown in the papers. Uh, Their guns, clothes, food, some of Bonnie's poetry journals, Blanche and Buck's wedding certificate. Damn. God. Well, June of 1933 is when... Clyde nearly dies when he flips his car into a ravine in Wellington, Texas. That's when Bonnie's leg gets covered in battery acid. Now both of them are limping. Oh my god. They ended up well, they ended up going to an area that's now part of Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and staying in the Red Crown Tourist Court, which allowed you to keep like they were little cabins. Mm. And they spent the first part uh or the end of June, first part of July just doing nothing trying to let bonnie heal honestly the only reason why they stopped was because clyde was like bonnie needs somewhere she can actually rest not like sleeping in cars in the middle of the woods Mm. smart there you go using your brain the only Mm. downside there is that first they made a couple mistakes at the red crown they covered the cabin windows with newspaper and people were like that's weird that's suspicious um then people okay so i have to explain this as soon as those photos were found they were not kept in evidence in fact they were developed and now we had pictures of the current members of the barrel gang Mm -hmm. so when clyde went into the city to get meds for bonnie he was very quickly spotted One thing also was that the group was known for paying with silver coins instead of paper money. Oh, because they stole those, and that's what you get for the bank. Yeah, okay. Uh, Makes sense. So those were everything. So with all that information, another raid is organized. Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and officers from Missouri, all there. And the police knew someone was hurt 
because he was going into the town for medical supplies. Mm -hmm. 11 p.m. on July 19th, they stormed the cabin. Police with submachine guns on their side and Clyde's folks with automatic rifles. Now, at one point, this is such a wild situation here because they would have been caught. Mm -hmm. But one of the bullets hits a car horn and the police hear it as a horn coming from the Barrow side. And they think, oh, are they setting off an alarm to let us know that they're surrendering? So they stop firing. Oh, no. (laughs) Which is the time that it takes for everyone to pile in a car and drive off and beat it <laughs> after this though the it was worse it was even worse than the first read blanche lost sight in one eye because of glass burners buck had been shot in the head and part of his brain was exposed due to a skull fracture oh. Oh, after no. several days of them like frantically trying to like help him they were brain. just like he's gonna die Clyde even dug a grave for him at one location. Um, Buck and Blanche would be captured by police a few weeks later in Iowa. The gang were actually, they were just laying low. They were trying to just wait Mm -hmm. for him to die. Uh, When they got cornered in Iowa, Buck tried to run with the group and Blanche stayed with her husband when he was shot in the back. She just stopped and she was just like, y'all go on. Yeah. He died in a hospital in Iowa. After this, the group hid for quite some time, and they were very successful, actually. Um, They didn't resurface again until next year. Or correction, they didn't resurface in a major way. Okay. They were still doing minor criming. Of course, you got to keep your your criming skills up. You know, you can't, it's like school, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like school. Yeah, use it, you lose it. <laughs> yeah, don't, exactly. Don't use it, you lose it, I mean. <laughs> well, this situation that they resurface in is called the Grapevine Killings. Happens on April's Fool's Day, 1934. That's April 1st, which happened to actually be an Easter Sunday. Hmm. Kind of funny. Yeah, that's weird. Police officers H.G. Murphy and Edward Wheeler were killed when one of the members of the Barrow Gang panicked. The group had been on the side of the road sleeping and the police pulled over because they saw a random car on the side of the road. Henry Methvin, a recent joiner of the group, saw the cops and started shooting. A local farmer actually reported it to the police. He said that all four members of the group helped in the shooting, including Bonnie. This was and still is a major point of argument in the history of Bonnie Parker. A lot of people think that she was really innocent and just got roped into this exciting life. Mm -hmm. But she did aid them sometimes. The reason this is still an argument, especially this testimony, was that it was immediately taken out of context by the media, sensationalized, and ultimately discredited. Because then it became like Bonnie Parker participated in the grapevine killings. And she laughed as they pulled their dead bodies onto the road. Like it was, it became uh. like that. And so people were like, oh, this is bogus. She's, she's, she's a bad lady. Yeah, she's well, bad at this point is when we start seeing the reward signs, hmm. dead or alive. 
group was still robbing stores, wouldn't raise a gun to anybody if you didn't try and fight them, but they would shoot any cop on sight. This was a strange moment when Bonnie and Clyde became beloved by American media. That roll of film from the Missouri house, everywhere. That's the photo of Clyde holding Monty up in the air. The one of her, you know, kind of playfully holding the shotgun at him. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. With the the cigar in her mouth or something like that. Well, also that one, her uh, holding the gun on her hip with a cigar in her mouth and Mm -hmm. smiling. Uh, There was a picture of Jones uh, sitting, he's 17 now, sitting with a stolen car surrounded by this giant pile of guns. It's pictures of them just like goofing off. All this is used to kind of spin this tale of star-crossed lovers who just ended up in a lifetime of crime. And if things had just been different for the both of them, they would have had a better life. And these two beautiful people, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and and I know people are going to look at the pictures and be like, beautiful. And I'm like, listen, we're talking about 1920s hot here, mm-hmm. not 2020 hot. Whole, <laughs> yeah, different chill. decade, okay? Chill, chill, slowly roll. <laughs> of the time... Bonnie and Clyde were apparently considered to be hot stuff. But here's the thing about this whole silly story the media was really pushing here at this point. Maybe Clyde was forced into crime because he grew up super poor and, you know, then he got sent to the prison for robbery and that really changed him. But Bonnie courted danger. She wanted a life of excitement. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. She wanted that. You know. She wanted. She wanted. Yeah. The life. Well, she. I don't think. Did she want the life, or she just wanted to be around it? I think she wanted to be around it. Okay. But that's the thing, though. You either end up involved, or. No, I'm looking at you because you're looking at your phone and I can see, and so can the camera, weirdo. I'm looking at the pictures of Bonnie and Clyde. (laughs) You can show them to the camera so people can see. I'm just trying to see how hot they were. (laughs) (laughs) You're evaluating these dead people. (laughs) I'm sorry, anyway. No, it's just funny. I was like, you're very clearly, like, I can see your phone at one point. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so sorry. It's Let's it's see. only it's only, you call me out because I was just trying to on a slide check them you out. Have to say what you're doing so oh people are watching. Oh my god, we, we're gonna get this whole visual thing down. We we, we are. I'm sorry, but yes, I'm checking out pictures of Bonnie and Clyde. Anyway, continue. But Bonnie, Clyde, and the Barrow Gang, every newspaper in the country, household names. Bonnie's at the center of it as this glamorous, dangerous woman. There's all these think pieces about their love. They're turned into cartoons in the Sunday paper, but those are like calling for their execution. But in a cute way. It was weird. Takes two years, though. But finally, Clyde's like, I'm ready for revenge on Eastham Prison. This place ruined my life. I'm going to ruin its life, even though it's a building. Yeah. So they set this plan. It's multi layered and it actually took a couple days. So, Saturday night, January 13th, 1934, members of the gang, Floyd Hamilton and Jimmy Mullins, break into Easton Prison Complex, which is in Lovelady, Texas. They stash guns and ammunition for the raid, which is to happen on Tuesday. They're able to get in and get out. 
nobody sees them. Sunday on the 14th, uh, Floyd visits his brother, who is currently serving a 266-year sentence for robbery and murder. Floyd lets his brother know, this is where the guns are. (laughs) So on Monday, Raymond Hamilton, Floyd's brother, Joe Palmer, Hilton Bybee, Henry Methvin, go and get guns and ammunition. Henry will be important later. Okay. Very important. Remember Henry. Tuesday, on the 16th, the day of the raid, four prisoners are inside of their, you know, they're sent out to do hard labor. They take their guns with them. Mm -hmm. Hide them in their clothes. Clyde was on the outside with his gun, sniping. One of the worst guards named Crossin gets shot first because everybody hated him. The rest of the guards run for cover. The four prisoners escape. One random prisoner named French tried to run in the chaos but got picked up two hours later because he didn't have a car waiting for him. Texan law enforcement are upset. Clyde had shown everybody that they were weak. And even the most secure prison in Texas could be broken into. People were laughing at Texas and celebrating the success of this group, which only made the people in charge more upset. Of course. And in that regard, what could come next? Only the end, right? The group stayed off the radar after the attack on Eastham for quite some time. We know they stayed on the border of Texas as a means to avoid the police. Um, They didn't stop robbing people, but they did avoid violence. The media reported that Bonnie and Clyde were caught by a group of heavily armed federal agents on Wednesday, May 23rd, 1934. They were driving along a county road near Beanville, Louisiana. It was 9.15 a.m. They were heading to Henry Methvin's house. I told you he'd be important. (laughs) And Bonnie and Clyde had a party at Black Lake and invited Methvin. He said he wanted to go see his family nearby and they would come get him in a couple days. That is what was reported. The reality of the situation is very different. This was a very planned ambush, and the police had gotten Henry Methvin to turn. Oh, no. Now, they bring in retired Texas Sheriff Francis Hamer after the attack. Hamer's a beast as a cop, has no issues killing suspects. He'd killed 53 during his career. He had no issues harming, hurting women suspects. He'd only retired from the Texas Rangers in 1932. This was the, the guy they felt could lead this op. Now, Hamer and Lee Simmons, who was the head of Texas law enforcement, uh, it's called the Texan Law Enforcement Agency, and he was also the head of Eastham Prison. Simmons was completely happy to help, seeing as he was deeply embarrassed by Clyde Barrow and wanted him right. gone. Yeah. Hamer was given access to anything that he needed to do this. Oh. He started tracking them in February. Now, according to police records, he says he was able to find them in just 100 days where other cops had failed to find them for two years. Thought I had to sneeze. (laughs) (laughs) So Hamer is the first person to realize that they are hitting locations that are only near the border of states. And that's because there was a law at the time that says that police could not chase you into another state. So if you were in Texas and you were running away from Texas and you drove into any other state, they had to stop. Oh, see, 
that's I think that's where I got the idea. As if I if I like committed a crime, I just drive to like the next state and then they just leave me alone. <laughs> okay, well I mean, that's not free. really how that works. Um, I know. <laughs> I mean, we did go through the entire Ted Bundy situation and yeah. uh, discuss mm. how they still did eventually link up and catch him. Yeah. Well, the way that uh, Hamer decided to deal with this was he pulled two cops from Louisiana, Prentice Oakley and Henderson Jordan, three more from Texas, Bob Alcorn, Manny Gall, and Ted Hinton. Now, Hinton knew Clyde and his family. He was there to help ID Clyde when they found them. Later on, when Hinton wrote his own book, Ambush, which is a book, um, he said that (laughs) (laughs) these killings were really actually hard for him because he had known Bonnie and Clyde for years. He had known Clyde when they were growing up. He had seen and talked to Bonnie when she worked at Marco's Cafe. He actually... Honestly, it sounded like he kind of had a crush on her, and Aww. then he saw her get with his boy. And, but, and he's like, yeah, fuck this. <laughs> um, that's not the reason why. I mean, he was a cop, and so they called him to do his job, so he did his job. Right. Yeah. Um, now, Hamer made a guess of where they'd be heading on May 21st, and the group all went to Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, which is a pretty big town in the northern part of Louisiana, from what I understand, because I have a friend who lives down there. Um, now, the police will say they learned of a trip to the Methvin family home. But in reality, the police found Methvin and blackmailed him into turning. And I'm not even sure we can even call it blackmailing because Lee Simmons handled this. And here, here was the option. You can help us and you will get a complete and total pardon for your crimes that put you in Eastham, for your crimes you committed with Bonnie and Clyde. It was unheard of. And I frankly, I don't think it was even allowed. Mm-hmm. But this was offered to Methvin as help us and earn your freedom or don't. And we're going to kill you and possibly your family. So, um, of course, he went along with it. Yeah, I got to I got to go. <laughs> Just the first option, please. Right. And so he he told them uh, they're at Black Lake tonight. They're going to be heading toward my family's house two days from now. Mm-hmm. The people involved in the blackmail said that they would never speak of this until they died. Oh. Damn. Interestingly enough, Methvin ultimately killed an officer after making this deal, uh, narrowly avoided the death penalty, and got put in prison until 1949. Sir. Then, were you ready for this? Then when he was released, he was kidnapped, tied to a train track, and left to be murdered. No. No. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. So he never got an ounce of freedom, really. Now, in Ted Hinton's book, oh my God. Ambush, Ted believes that Ivan Methvin, Henry's father, was bullied by the cops and that he turned Bonnie and Clyde in to help save his son. And just, and this just, and I don't think either of these were wrong. In my opinion, they might have made both the deals because they never intended for either of these people to live to see the, to, to be able to go against them. Mm-hmm. Because 16 months before Henry was released from prison, his father was kidnapped, tied to train tracks, and left to die. No, it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's, 
it's entirely too many coincidences here with the train track deaths. Oh my god! That the two, the two father and son no. are both killed in the same way, and they're both connected to Lee Simmons oh and god. the other five and the six police officers. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Regardless, though, they have the intel. They set the trap. The six officers, like I said, they agreed. We all are going to keep this in our bed until our deathbeds. Uh, Ted Hinton definitely didn't do that. He wrote a book. People were less than excited. But, like, honestly, at this point, it had been 40 years. Nobody cared anymore that the police mm-hmm. had done something corrupt to get the killers. Right. Homer called the rest of the officers in, and they pretty much set a trap in the back roads heading towards the Methvin family house. They waited for two days. When they heard the car approach, Ted Hinton was like, that's Clyde. And according to the police, the police said, we asked them to surrender peacefully and they didn't. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's that was exactly a lie. Yeah. They shot 130 rounds into the car. The sound being so loud that it partially deafened the police officers who were shooting years later, Hinton and Alcorn actually admitted that they were firing while the car was still moving. Oh, lovely. Um, causing it to spin out, which is why there were shots in both the front and back of Bonnie and Clyde's body and on both sides of the vehicle. Now they die. Hamer goes to report the murder. I'm sorry. Execution. They get a tow truck. They take the car with the bodies in it to Arcadia, Louisiana. In the time it takes to get them from that back road, everybody hears about what happened. Thousands of people descend on Arcadia. And when the car pulls up, they mob the car. So much so that Alton, like that Alcorn and Gault were like, nope. I'm not doing this. And like people were stealing shell casings from inside the car, um, items of clothing. People stole Bonnie's shoes, cut pieces of her hair. One of Clyde's fingers that was severed by a bullet was stolen from the car. And, and y'all people, well, I guess not y'all people, but people want to say like true crime just started nowadays, but true crime has We've been around. We've talked about this before. Remember I know. the guy who blew up his school? Yeah. Like, true they stole around. parts of his body when it, he exploded. So it this is, is we've always been morbidly obsessed with this kind of stuff. We've been crazy motherfuckers forever. <laughs> so finally, the vultures have left. They take Bonnie and Clyde to the coroner. The coroner was encouraged to only report the kill shots. Of those 130, 26 hit Bonnie uh, in a place that would have killed her. Mm -hmm. And 17 hit Clyde. Like, these were all, like, kill shots. I don't know. There was so much overkill. Like, why? So much overkill. So much. There was probably way more bullet holes in these bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually brought in a couple from Ruston, Louisiana, who had been kidnapped by Bonnie and Clyde a couple days before. And were like, are these the people who kidnapped you? And the couple was like, yeah. 
in lieu of bringing, you know, the families from Texas. Uh, Clyde was buried with Buck and Bonnie was taken back to Dallas by her mother, Emma, given a funeral. Afterward, Hamer was given $180 per month. So it was a little over 600 bucks for his work Mm. on catching the fugitives. He frankly thought that was too little because he had caught the most wanted people in America. And he ended up going to the press with his story to make more money. There you go. Henderson Jordan tried to keep the car. The problem was it had been stolen by from a woman named Ruth Warren. And Ruth had to get a court order to get her car returned. Oh, no. She actually ended up steal, sell, uh, selling it to Charles Stanley. And Stanley put it on the fair circuit as the death car. Mm-hmm. I, I and it was hearing about that. Yep, all over the U.S. It currently resides at Whiskey Pete's Hotel and Casino at the Prim Valley Resorts on Prim Boulevard in Jean, Nevada. Hmm. It is in a clear gas case to protect it. Uh, the casino also has another car from uh, the gangster Dutch Schultz, uh, though the death car does occasionally travel to other museums around America every once in a while. Okay. Clyde and Buck's uh, gravestone says gone, but not forgotten. Uh, Bonnie's says as the flowers are all made sweeter, the sunshine and the dew. So this old world was made brighter by the lives of folks like you. Obviously that was chosen by her mother because Mm -hmm. I don't think many people thought that (laughs) their life was brighter once they met Bonnie in person. Um, But every single photo I found of Bonnie's grave was covered in flowers also money, and also shotgun shells. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, it's really interesting because the police hoped to end their embarrassment by executing uh, Bonnie and Clyde. But mm-hmm. from that point on, it just became a myth. I mean, countless hip-hop songs reference this couple as ideal. Even, you know, our beloved Jay-Z and Beyonce released a song about being criminals together. Oh, God. (laughs) There are countless books, films, even a musical in 2009. It didn't have a long run, but Mm. I actually found an article in the Washington Post which called them the Depression-era Kardashians. Hmm. And while I don't think the comparison is one-to-one equal, I get what they were saying. If Bonnie and Clyde existed today, their Instagram would be full of followers and so would their DMs. People were obsessed with them then. And to be fair, we still are. This is very true. Oh, goodness. And that's me. I liked it. I liked it. There you go. Not always stories about rape. (laughs) Listen, even I need a break. I'm sorry. Some of y'all send me requests and I'm like... I need to take a couple weeks off with some of these stories. They're really bad. What do you have for us today, Brian? Okay. So I'm going to talk about one of the classics today. So, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to be basic cryptozoologist today. Um, <laughs> and like I said, it's a cryptid. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, it's a, to me, it's an annoying cryptid well not annoying cryptid but the subsect the subclass of this cryptid is very annoying because it's uh lake monsters hey i love lake monsters yeah lake monsters are like they're they're everywhere though like you know everybody Listen, i showed you the picture i showed you the video in alaska that was so cool okay okay no okay alaskan 
Alaskan monsters, they're they like I like those. I like anything well, that, that has... guy caught that video and he was yeah. like, "Yo, this yes. looks like a river monster." Yes, and I, I like that. I like that one. Okay, so which one don't you like? I I don't like them all. So <laughs> I don't like any of them. Um, but there's there's one that I like the least amount. Um, and like you ever hear like. Have you heard of any like lake monsters that weren't like a plesiosaur or some type of freaking ex- extinct dinosaur? No, they all look like like extinct like, dinosaurs. Nessie okay. looks like a dinosaur. I mean, some that looks like the one that we saw the video of in Alaska <laughs> looks like a snake. It was like a it looked mm-hmm. like a big black snake there's, covered in ice. There's one that looks like a um a a, a jaguar slash walrus type of uh, sea monster i'm not even kidding i'm, um, I'm opening the google like, now <laughs> like i can look it up real quick it's in my book hold on a sec i'll look for you for you real quick but um uh so it's just like right by the page it's a it's called a, a dingle neck a dingle yes. a dingle neck it's a d-i-n-g-o-n-e-k <laughs> And it's it's not like a I think it's like a river monster, but it's like I haven't read much about it. But I saw a picture. It lives in the water, and it's just like I didn't spell it right because okay. I can't find a picture. Oh my god! I'll send you a picture okay. of it in the chat, along with the coyote. I'm supposed to send you a picture of. Oh. But anyway. Oh. You find this it. This is weird. I'm gonna. It's like a saber-toothed tiger mixed with a. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Like that. I'm showing it to the camera for people watching. That's weird. You got this. It's, 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 it's a saber-toothed tiger snake. And... This is stupid. Yeah, it, it, that's what it is. I don't like it. <laughs> oh. Okay, but I was bored and I decided to cover. Uh, this sea, mo- this like monster because well, it's very popular, and I'm pretty sure you've probably heard of him. You show me another picture yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's the one that we yeah. want to talk about then? Um, have you heard of Lake Champlain? Yeah, of course. Have you heard of the lake monster no, in Lake but Champlain? I, at this point now, I'm used to there being a lake monster. In every lake Somewhere. in America, it's it's they're they're everywhere. But here's the problem: um, Lake Champlain's near like Vermont, right? It's not exactly like a big lake, is it? It really? is it actually. Um, yeah. So, so for anybody who doesn't know, I'm talking about Champ today. Um, I've heard of this. He, he's okay. Champ is a lake monster, and Lake Champlain. It it. It's shared by New York and Vermont, and it stretches all the way up to uh, Quebec ah, as well. Okay. So, it's not just so in Vermont. It's the like... river. Okay. No, no, it's actually it's an, it's a decent size uh, okay. uh, lake. So why is Champ so interesting? Hmm. Let's get to it. Okay, so first I'm going to give you some of these sightings of of our Sir Champ. Um, or. Girl champ, I don't know. Champ is a lake monster. Who cares? They are genderless. <clears throat> but they are. It's okay. So, there you go. 
So the first sighting of Champ came from the lake's namesake, um, and it's it was the explorer Samuel de Champlain, and he wrote about seeing a serpentine creature swimming in the lake. So it was about like twenty feet long, and it had like it was very thick, and it had like a, a horse like head. Um. So. Like I said, the lake, the lake stretches from Quebec to New York. And the lake is about 125 miles uh, long. Uh, um, God, I wrote it down. Where was it at? But it's, 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 it's long and it's wide. And it's about 40... Some, it's, 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 a, it's a deep lake. Okay. okay? It's, it's deep. Um, I mean the word meter. But anyway. Probably, I haven't. I didn't write it down. I just looked it up. I, I just wrote how long it was because it's a okay. long lake. <laughs> um, and now Champlain. I'm talking about the guy. There you go. That's what it looks like. It's a uh, yeah. So who was Champlain? Um, so he's he he was basically like a. a uh, uh, how do you how do you pronounce it? It's a cartographer. Oh, like, you know, he, cool. He would draw maps and stuff like that. Yeah. And so he thought this that you know this this thing he saw in the lake was some type of mythical beast and stuff like that. Um, now the indigenous people of the area they called this creature a a word that means pike or a sturgeon. I can't pronounce it. I could not find a pronunciation of it. I'm not even going to try to embarrass myself today. So y'all going to have to deal with me saying that they called it a, a pike or a sturgeon. Um, and so between like the 1600s and the 1800s, there there weren't like many sightings of Champ. Um, at least not recorded sightings. And that's basically because... Yes, that's 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 the that's the that, those are the people. Yes, um, and also the Iroquois. I don't know what they. Yes, that's the other tribe. I'm part <laughs> of the Iroquois. Weirdo. I know you yes, say but this. I like whenever you, you say these things. Things that I know about. <laughs> but I don't know a lot of words, so I understand. That was that was also in the book, and I forgot to write down. <laughs> the tribes anyway <clears throat> so like i was saying there weren't really many reports during the 1600s and the 1800s mainly because the white men that were in the area were they were G- jesuits jesuits there you go they were jesuits um and I had to look up what the Not hell that fan. was, and it's just, like, <laughs> it's just, yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't like what I read, so I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to write anything out about you guys. So, <clears throat> um, for go. people who don't know, but, Jesuits are like an order of Catholics, I believe, who believe that like they yeah. must do missionary work, and they go all over the world, and um sometimes get themselves killed by going into places they're not supposed to go into like that one guy 
who was told, remember him from like two years ago? He was told specifically not to visit mm-hmm. that one closed island of people and he showed up anyway and he got shot by an arrow on the coast. Yeah. I don't have an issue with some missionary work, but I got an issue with you going when people tell you we don't want you here. Yeah. Like, like listen, I get it. Jesus Please. did say spread the good <laughs> word, but he also said be your own light and wait till people ask you about me. <laughs> Jeez. Yes, nobody cares. Okay. <laughs> Not a big fan of Jesuits. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Same. That's why I didn't write anything down about him. Sorry. Um, sorry. If you're a Jesuit, I don't care. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I think by now, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that Brian's not particularly religious. I'm at best kind of spiritual. Um, I support people's beliefs as far as you don't extend them into bothering other people. That's why I am not yeah. the nicest with the people who knock on your door. I just mm. look at them. I'm sending you letters in the mail now. Pull the shade down and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so the white people in the area were but, Jesuits, which oh god, that means they were dedicated to you know giving the religion to the indigenous people in the area. Yes, and they didn't really record any sightings of seeing Champ at, or the, the lake monster at Not all even in their own writings? So, no, mm. no. I wonder what was going on then. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> um, so after 1810, there were tons of sightings, though. So I always trust indigenous and people's sightings. Like, Sightings. Oh, oh yeah, first. absolutely, one hundred percent. I'm like, you know what? This yeah. they're they're reasonable people. They're like, listen, mm-hmm. we just trying to live. There is a giant river monster, but we don't bug exactly. It. We don't bug it, so, they're like, so. you know, we just we're just all kind of living and vibing together. I I dig it. So when yeah. they write, whenever there's yeah. a, a cryptid and it has groundings and indigenous stuff, I'm like already fifty percent more towards I believe it. <laughs> Okay, so by the way, I had, to, I had to say this: Champ is one of the more the more believable lake monsters out there. So he he may you know. Now, has anybody ever tried to fake Champ? Like fake pictures of him? Uh, probably. I'm pretty sure people have. I'll get into pictures of Champ nice. though later um, because th- there's a really good one. Um, and yeah, when I looked but, up Champlain before, all I saw was a parade, and I thought it was really cute. Oh, <laughs> like a giant green snake monster float through the town. Look, yes, everybody Cute. loves Champ. Almost as much as they love a uh, booty man. Yeah, almost, almost a celebrate. I swear to God. Aww. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> so, in 1810, like I said, there were tons of sightings. That's the mainly reason was because about 100. 50,000 settlers were coming to the area and they were looking for some cheap lakefront property oh. to build their homes. That's probably like $2 million and, houses and they, now. I know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, like these, these, people, these settlers, they, they found they found the properties they were looking for, but they also found a lake monster. And when I wrote this down, I was just thinking like, this is kind of like just 
when you're going shoe shopping and then you find like a snake in your boot because don't look at me like that. I thought you were so clever with that joke. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Listen, I only put up with the dad jokes like 50% of the time. So. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. <clears throat> so after, after <laughs> shut up. <laughs> after he, after he gets, if we get through this, um, we get to the 1870s now. Um, people are traveling by a steamboat, and people are seeing this thing rise out, rise its head out of the water, and then going back underneath. So, I I got some accounts from here. I got a lot of accounts from this area, and I'm going to credit this to my my crypto crypto zoology okay, cool. book. <laughs> um. So in August 30th, 1878, um, a, a yacht, I guess it was like a, a Rob Roy okay. yacht. Um, now, it had like six, six people on it, and they said that they saw a large monster swimming rapidly through the lake, and its head would occasionally project out of the smooth glass like glass like water so yeah so they're like we're sea saints like my rich yacht i see (laughs) i see so (laughs) oh god um where else where else what else so november 5th 1879 uh there are three university of burlington students that saw the monster. Uh, they saw 15 feet of it that like that was visible, and above that was above the water, and it traveled from Apple Tree Point, that's near Burlington, and around wherever Rock Dunder is, and head for Essex. Um, and on July 9th. 1887 this creature it appeared to this group of east charlotte it it it, it, it appeared uh, um in east charlotte or east, i keep saying charlotte 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 not charlotte <laughs> east charlotte vermont um, and I guess they were like picnickers, like everybody's like, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're okay. hanging out. They're just, you know, enjoying the lakefront view and stuff like that. And then they just see this monster coming or this thing, this creature coming around a bend and they see like a flat, like it's, it's head like poking out of the water again. And it was moving towards them and it was like getting faster as it like started moving towards them. So they thought it was like about to attack them. Okay. And they, they all just scattered. They just ran. But they away. were on the beach. Yeah. But they didn't know if it was like a amphibious type of creature that could, you know, get up. Oh, my boat ran away. Yeah. I'm, would, would you run away if someone says shark at the beach? I'm not in the water. If you, I'm if cool. If you saw a shark in the water? 
Okay. Okay. That's yeah. Funny. Now I'm Be just smart. standing there like, where's the fin? <laughs> <laughs> where's the fin? I need to see it. Oh my god. Mm-mm. So between 1870 and 1900s, um, P. T. Barnum, famous oh. of, uh, you know, yeah, of the, the circus. Yeah, the circus guys. Um, they offered fifty thousand dollars for the body of the Lake Champlain, the Lake Champlain sea no, serpent. No, 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 the body. <laughs> they, they. It says carcass. No, no, so no, no. no. Want, See, this is why people don't like they y'all wanted, the circus. Gonna kill a creature just cause it's one of a kind. Look. Or maybe Look, it has little tiny babies you, you, down the bottom of the water. This is true. Like I'm going to say, I was going to say, like the PT Barnum people, like they, these guys, I don't like. Mm, they have a, a colored history. They do. That's all I can say. They have a colored history. If you don't know about them, <clears throat> um, and 1930, there was or 1939. Um, a lot of people saw like they're they're fishing and they they see some type of monster or some type i keep saying monster but it's like it's just it's it's classified as a creature so it's a creature yeah it's it's a creature they see something under the water and they're fishing and it was headed towards them like every time someone sees champ it's always headed towards them and they're just like at this point i'm just gonna decide that champ is like a husky and he's just like i'm so interested hi what are you doing? <laughs> I filled out like a survey online and that's what they were like, what kind of animal are you like? And I was like, I'm a husky. Notice me. That's what, that's all Champ is doing. He just wants to hang out. Why he's, y'all keep running away from he's him? He's a water, he's a water dog. He just yeah. wants pets. He's that's like, hey, he what's up oh weird people? You don't have scales. Why are you here? <laughs> oh my God. Um, there's an account in 1943 where a man named Charles Weston, he watched like through binoculars, um, as, as a large creature churned up like the water, you know what I mean? Churned in the water, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, making splashing waves and stuff like that. And, and it didn't, it just like swam away. Um, but yeah, th- like there, like there are like there's so many freaking accounts of this guy. Um, About like recent, there are some recent ones, but there's one famous one, and it's from 1977. And if you've seen pictures of Champ, and you've seen like a very, very, very clear picture of of his body, um, it was taken by a woman. Um, her name is Sandra. There's a last name, Mansi. It's M A N S I. So Mansi Mansi. Um, but yeah, so she was she was at the lake, right? And she's there with her husband and her two kids, and you know there's hanging out doing stuff at you know lake doing lake stuff at the lake like what people do at the lake how much you do at the lake i'll go to lakes um and she 
asked she asked her husband or her kids to like to go you know get get her camera for her so she could take a picture of the lake you know it's a beautiful view it's, it looks very it's, pretty uh, it's wonderful out there yeah yeah it is um <clears throat> you know it's breathtaking and actually it wasn't her husband at the time he was her fiance at the time now he he is her husband you know, that's right because he did what they she got said married. and got her that camera <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Oh, <laughs> uh, so the, her kids are playing in the water. Her, you know, fiance is getting the camera for her, and then she notices like this thing, like poking out of the water, and she's like, "What the fuck is that?" And she like calls her, calls her fiance. It's like, "Come, come, get here, get here now!" And like he sees it and she he gives her the camera and she yells for her kids. She's like, get out. Get you gotta get out of that lake right now because I don't know what the hell this thing is. Um and she snaps a picture of it. And it's 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 like a it's a very nice picture. And it's like it's if if you guys have time to Google it, uh just look up uh Sandra Monsi, uh like did you yes. looking at it? You looking at it? <laughs> no. Look at that. Look, it's like it's nice, right? It's a nice picture of him. She got his good side too. <clears throat> For people looking, that is a clear as day picture. Mm-hmm. That's a nice picture. I was I was thinking it was gonna be like gray you know how all the pictures of nessie look but like yeah nope that one's a grade a like sea monster wow. picture also apparently in some pictures the water doesn't look as blue but still like you can still yeah. see a, a head and a body yeah exactly and a neck Whoa. So around this time, well actually before before this happened, there was a guy. His name was <laughs> his name was Joseph okay. Zarzinski. Okay. And he was a, basically a an investigator, dynamic investigator is what it says. But anyway, Zarzinski, he he organized the 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 Lake Champlain phenomenon investigation mm. that that like he was this guy was no nonsense he was all about this like he was like you guys you got do you have a sighting of champ tell me about it let's let's sit down let's talk give me let's get some coffee and you know tell me about your story okay right so after she saw after um, Sandra sees this lake monster she snaps a picture of it she's like she you know she shows her friends or family about it and blah blah blah. and then she's like and let me let me like hide this away because i don't want people to think i'm crazy for having like for thinking like this is a lake monster and lake champlain or something so wait she just kept it as like a secret like a family secret that they all saw a river monster one day how did the kids keep that quiet I don't know. I don't know. But, but she, after a while, um, some of her friends or family, they were like, 
yo, there's this guy named Zarzinski who, you know, who would like to hear about this stuff. And like he's into like chant like this this lake monster in mm-hmm. Lake Champlain. So like talk to him because maybe this okay. could be a thing. Um so you know, he interviews her, but does blah, he feel blah, that she was credible? Yeah. He does. He does. He 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 did he liked the picture. He was like, Oh wow, this actually looks and the fact that she legit. didn't try him um, right away. Probably also really exactly. made her seem a lot more believable. Absolutely. Um, so he gets this whole crew of investigators to come, you know, check the picture out, see, you know, how authentic it is. Um, they could tell, you know, I mean, there wasn't any Photoshop back in 19, 1970s, but like you could tell they, they said it wasn't superimposed, nothing like that. There wasn't no trick of the well, light. Well, fun fact, and- um, you know that the part in photoshop that we refer to as layers um in mm-hmm. real dark rooms that's how people photoshopped in the past they would put layers of things on top of the image and then expose it i think you've mm-hmm. told me this before but i always forget I, it's just something <laughs> yeah, i learned awesome. in every school. time i um <laughs> when I, we and it's every the, time i hear it i'm like yeah, that's awesome people learn yeah. how to physically do things and actually sometimes they still do it to make it look kind of cool like create like weird shadows mm-hmm. and stuff Oh, right. yeah, um, by yeah, yeah. by putting something on one part of the image before you uh, essentially hit it with the light. I had to learn how mm-hmm. to do the, the old school method before they taught us how to do the new way of cameras. Of course, of course. But yeah, um a lot of, like a lot of the researchers thought that this was a photo of a plesiosaur in this lake. Okay. <laughs> um and just like the one in Loch Ness, that is not, I'm pretty sure there's no, there's nothing in Loch Ness, but um, I'm going to say there's no damn monster in Loch Ness. I'm saying you it You are right saying now. there's no Nessie? I don't care. It's such a cute name, though. It's a, yeah, it's a name, but it's, I mean, Champ is a cute name, too. It's okay. <laughs> uh... Uh, I think one of the researchers said it was a, he thought it was a z- z- Zuglodon. And that's like an ancient whale that is thought to have been extinct. And I'm like, damn, that's a big ass whale for a small, like that's, I don't think a whale. Well, I mean, like you said, it's, okay, so like the average depth is pretty, it's not that deep. It's like yeah, 20 meters. But like the, the the deep 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 part is four hundred feet down. That's a lot. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, no, it looks nothing like Zuglodon, which <laughs> the actual name of it is a Basilosaurus, but it just doesn't look right. Um, it doesn't mm. like a Basilosaurus doesn't have a long neck. That's the problem. It has a long tail. Exactly. But yeah. the long Maybe neck tail was is just different up. here. So he's saying like, oh, yeah, yeah. that wasn't its face. That was its tail poking out of the ocean. It probably. Like, I yeah. don't know. Now, you said they think it's a plesiosaurus? Yes. A plesiosaur, oh, plesiosaur right. Uh, my kindergartners would have corrected me. 
Um, <laughs> even that, though, the neck. Honestly, it's... I feel like a lot of these river monsters look like. Give me a second. I'm trying to remember the name of the dinosaur. They look like a water brontosaurus. You know, with the extended neck that goes up and over. <laughs> it looks... Okay, listen. Tell me that, like, the head poking out of the water doesn't <clears throat> remind you of these little guys. Oop, there you go. The uh, necks remind yeah. me of that. Maybe not as long. It's it's a Leoplerodon, Charlie. But a plesiosaur, it has, like, a short neck. And it's, it's long, um. but not bendy. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't think they're right. It's a Lapras. That's what it is. You're giving me other names of dinosaurs a, to look up. I said it's a Lapras. Oh, Lapras. A poke. A Aww. Lapras Pokemon. <laughs> okay. Lapras is cute boy. But um, so apparently there was like a sighting in the two thousands. Actually, there, there, there are multiple sightings in the 2000s. Um, there's a video taken by a fisherman. His name is Dick Offler. Off, okay. Offter. Um, he and his stepson, they took, they took a video of him in 2005. Um, and, like, people said when they saw this video, it's like, it looked like a plesiosaur, too. I'm going to look. And like a lot of people thought, like maybe it was a fish or an eel, but then like I guess some uh, FBI investigators they they looked at the video and they're like, well, no, this, this looks like it's a legit video, so I'm not sure what it is. I know that it's something, but it's not sure what the hell. Well, it is. I'll tell you one thing that doesn't help. As I'm looking up like mm-hmm. recent champ sightings. <laughs> People just putting random stuff in the forest that look oh like the God. head of Champ. That'd be terrifying. You're taking a walk near the lake, and then all of a sudden you just see like a random like dinosaur head and neck that someone like st- left there as a prank. That's <laughs> scary. Um, but you talked about a lot of like you saw you saw the parade for oh Champ yeah, it looked really stuff cute, like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Champ is well, well, well respected in the area of Vermont, uh, New York area, whatever, wherever it's. Um, it's a uh, Port Henry, New York. My bad. Um, and they ha- have what they call mm-hmm. Champ Day, and that's like the first Saturday of of every August, and and it's like it's. It's it's almost like um I would I would I'd say it's almost like um Krampus Krampus that Krampus uh, Krampus festival. festivals are <laughs> scary. Well, wait, not true. Not yeah, all but of it's them. wonderful. Just People the one celebrate it. Really him. scary. Yeah. Um, and Vermont, they had changed their baseball team's name to the Vermont Lake Monsters, and. Their mascot is that green champ, oh, that green, cute-looking champ monster, and it's adorable as hell. <clears throat> now, did you know that there are laws protecting champ? 
if if he if he exists or if he you know if, even if he doesn't exist there's still laws to protect him like you can't hunt him and like he he's like it's it's like like federal laws that, like you like yeah and i didn't look it up because i know i heard about it and i was like where the hell when did that happen and it happened in like the i believe like the 1800s or 18 like the late 1800s is when they, you know, they enacted these these laws that they protected him and all his offspring. If if right, champ has absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I just I think that's why I wanted to cover this one the most because there was like an actual something protecting I love him. That. Like, do you? Th- I don't think there's anything protecting Bigfoot if Bigfoot exists. Or a skunk ape, or whatever. Like there are so many Bigfoot creatures, but like there, there's That's nothing protecting Bigfoot them from. Ended up being like Zeus, and banging all the other creatures. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. That's how we have all sure. the different foots out there. The different squatches. Oh yeah, that's exactly how it happened. Yes, all the squatches. <laughs> But yeah, I was I was just like I, I loved how people like the people of Vermont and uh, New York were just like, yeah, he's real. He like we protect him, so like don't come fuck around with Lake Champlain at all. But yeah, that's that's what I got for Champ. I like Champ. Today. I like this. We can visit. We can visit. It was Champ. adorable. <laughs> yeah. And the whole entire time we're up in the area, we're just gonna stare at the water. <clears throat> It's like, do you see him? Do you see him? Maybe he's in Quebec. <laughs> That's the problem because it's such a long little lake. Yes. But regardless, this was a good time. I really liked today's episode. Mm-hmm. It's very nice, Mr. Cho. As usual, if you want to support us, all the links are in our description. We still have our Patreon, which we have now two dozen videos of not videos, audios of us talking about conspiracy theories, which are lovely. And uh, yes, if you want to support us, which, you know, goes directly towards uh, helping us out. We have our merch, which I said, uh, hopefully there'll be another merch drop in April with some new images. Uh, You can always get our regular stuff though. That just has our logo on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, follow Brittany oh, on TikTok. Yeah, I'm there. And <laughs> she's always there. All those links will be at the bottom. And thank you so much for listening. Have a good weekend. Yep. Yeah, bye.